it's a topic that's so broad and there's just so much that my personal opinion of it, it's, it's just an ongoing process. It's, it's a never ending process. And, you know, calling it a journey is, is probably the, the best way to, to put it because it's, it's always continuous learning and, and processes involved. Brought to you by iLAM, this is the Cloud Bytes Podcast, where we bring together panels of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the concerns customers have with the actual process of migrating to the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm the Director of Cloud Market Intelligence for iLAN, and I will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes plenty of experience with moving workloads to the cloud. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering concerns about migrating to the cloud. Awesome. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having us on. My name is uh, Clint Wyckoff. I'm a principal technologist. I've been in and around the quote-unquote cloud for many years, spent some time as an on-premises administrator, worked my way through some different vendor stints along the way, recently did a two-year tenure at Amazon Web Services, where I helped a small handful of customers, including some very large name brands that you all would have known of, migrate in their journey to the cloud, to the public cloud, because I like to uh, to say that the cloud is not necessarily a destination, it's more of a mindset. So what a cloud might be to one customer is different from another customer, and how you get there in that journey may differ along the way. I am uh, John Grange, and I'm co-founder and CTO of Ops Compass. We're a SaaS application that does multi-cloud operations management with a focus on security and compliance. You know, we obviously get to spend a lot of time with customers that are moving to the cloud or have large cloud estates. And I think that generally, if you could just boil the core challenge for all of them into a single thing, it would be that, that most of those cloud challenges really stem from scale and all the different ways the customers have to address scale, both organizationally and technically. So definitely excited to talk a little bit more about that today with the group. Thanks for having me. I'm Yunus. I lead the multi-cloud center of excellence at VMware. Prior to VMware, I uh, was a longtime customer, worked for you know small and large enterprises, helping them get their cloud story together. And then I moved over to the partner side, again, helping customers not only with their on-premises environment, but also with their cloud journey, which kind of leads me to what I do today in a multi-cloud center of excellence uh, focused on connectivity and workload mobility. And I, I think cloud migration, it's a holistic view. And, and while it may take a lot of planning and, and effort, there are a lot of reasons to definitely consider migrating to the cloud. And depending on how it's done, uh, it can definitely be, uh, I guess, a, a good journey, but it's a continuous one at best. Great. Thank you all for joining me. Taking data and applications out of an on-premises infrastructure and placing them into the cloud is never as easy as executing a vMotion from one host to another. It should be a full-fledged project with lots of planning and testing, and the risk is real. The work it takes to move these workloads will not only take IT's time, but will cause some amount of downtime for the end users. A poor migration experience can harm a company's perspective of the cloud, which has led to many stories of customers abandoning a cloud strategy because the migration process was too painful. I've actually seen this firsthand. 
John, you've been in the position to directly help customers with their cloud migration. Is this a common story and should it be something that gives customers hesitation? I think that it's maybe uh, somewhat common, but I think all customers maybe have at least, even the most kind of gung-ho customers about the cloud have at least a little bit of hesitation. And I think a lot of that stems from just the, it's not a destination, as, as what said earlier, it's a change in mindset. You know, big companies tend to love to do big long-term projects and to even kind of be good at it. <laughs> and I mentioned earlier that cloud challenges generally come from scale. Well, what I see companies do really often that I think generally leads to failure is picking the wrong initial workload for the wrong reasons. And oftentimes that workload is something that is a big, a major application. It's your first foray into the cloud. And now you have this big, maybe virtual machine application that you're going to lift and shift because maybe somebody at the executive level thought that it was going to be a cost-saving measure to move to the cloud. And from all the way from organizational alignment, you know, do we have we aligned kind of our goals with our capabilities all the way to just kind of skills internally? There's just a lot that goes into moving a major production workload into the cloud. And I think that that ends up causing a lot of problems. And, you know, I interact with customers all the time that are frankly a little bit stung from a previous cloud migration project that didn't go as well as maybe it should have. And the common thread is that the cloud and DevOps and this new mindset is very much about being agile, incrementalism. And it just doesn't lend itself all the times to the typical enterprise project where we're thinking about things in maybe three-year increments and you assume that you have the team currently that has the expertise to do what you need to do in the cloud. And that's just often not the case. So I think customers generally have hesitation. And I think that there's definitely a lot of kind of war stories about cloud migration's gone wrong. But so much of it is just about a company or an organization really understanding exactly what I said earlier. I love that. that It's not a destination, it's a mindset. And also that, look, being agile is about starting small and incrementally improving and growing. I would agree with that. I think, you know, from a migration perspective, a lot of it comes down to, you know, this is a big effort. And when folks look at things like, I mean, if you look at like upgrades, we've all done upgrades within our environment and have the war stories and and the scars to prove it. So when you look at something like, okay, I'm going to take this workload that runs on-prem and I'm going to migrate to the cloud, you kind of get some of the jitters, especially some of the older workloads that have been, you know, P2V'd and have been running on older operating system. and, And we're like, hey, don't look at that the wrong way because it may not work. So you, you want to make sure that, hey, from a, a migration perspective, everything is going to work flawlessly and the end users within your organization are not going to call you and say, hey, this thing is running slow, right? So I think from a customer's perspective, they want to make sure that everything is moving slowly or moving correctly in the sense of, okay, have I planned this correctly? Have I done my proper POCs? Have I looked at all the different processes that are within the organization. If we migrate to the cloud, which one is going to break? So I think taking that holistic view and breaking it up into segments will definitely get you into the right direction. Otherwise, you do wind up in areas where you you didn't consider something and now you may have to migrate those workloads back, right? What about other workloads also that have been shadowed IT? Like, are those part of the consideration? So it's really about Again, taking that plan and breaking it down into, you know, different stages and segments and making sure that you've checked all the boxes. So the perspective that I would bring to the conversation is that, you know, what is 
from a customer perspective in an actual business, like what is the outcome you're trying to get to by moving to the cloud? Is there some sort of initiative that a C-level executive that says thou must adopt cloud by a certain date, or you must be out of a data center by a specific time frame. So therefore, that helps to frame what sort of migration strategy you take into consideration. For example, John, you mentioned earlier, whenever the question was initially posed to you about lifted shift, right? So am I going to take virtual machines that already have immense amounts of technical debt, likely, running inside of my on-premises data center, am I going to just pick that up and move it to the cloud? I think that's a, a valid migration strategy if you have a very short timeline. I would challenge folks to really try very hard to not take a lift and shift strategy and perhaps try with a smaller project or a smaller initiative where they can go and refactor and utilize cloud-native services. Now, granted, there is extended I would say lead time with that migration strategy because you have to go and learn new technologies. Maybe your developers aren't familiar with how to monitor in the cloud because that's been something that the infrastructure team has been doing for them for years now. They don't have to worry about it. Or how do they back up or what's their DR strategy for their application? Plus the cloud technology on top of that, right? So there is a specific amount of lead time with that sort of strategy, but I have found that that leads to a better even though there's a longer lead time, that leads to a better cloud adoption rate in the end, because you don't have to go back and refactor and take care of technical debt that you've picked up from one location and moved to the other. I will say that the cloud providers don't have a .com top-level domain for a reason, right? They're in this for the money, right? They're all for-profit organizations, and they love lift and shift, likely because it's the most expensive and it makes the cloud provider the most money. But if you want to do it in the most cost-effective way, and make best use of services that are built for the cloud and do it, you know, I feel looking at doing refactoring is a good approach to take there if that meets the timeline and the strategy that you're looking into. So I agree with you in general, right? But there's also other ways to get to the cloud without having to refactor, right? Kind of to your point early on, right? You know, if you need to learn new skill sets and if you have to think about monitoring and changing, you know, your logging and, and all that stuff. Yes. Agreed. And full disclosure, right? Like I, I work for VMware, like I said early on, and the ability now with VMware everywhere, customers don't really need to think about things like refactoring upfront. They can, but they can get to the cloud as they are today using the same tool sets, right? And that does buy them time. So back to your original point, like depending on the use case, things like that, there are ways to get to the cloud right away and then think about refactoring. So it's it's one of those decisions of, okay, am I going full native or do I want to continue using the skill sets that I have and continue using some of the tooling that I have and get to the cloud? I think you're right. And it goes back to kind of what I was talking about with organizational alignment. It's about expectations. If you have a data center that's going to be just shuttering in three months, you're moving to the cloud to solve that problem. And oftentimes I see a lot of the migrations to the cloud is because there's a, you know, at the executive level, there might be a, an edict for a cloud strategy, but there's also an impression that maybe this lift and shit, it's going to be cheaper. I'm going to go to the cloud because I'm going to get a gig of RAM cheaper or so I think. And if that is sort of the rubric of the cloud migration and how it's, you know, judged by the organization, many times that's just set up for failure. And I think that, uh, a couple of the examples that we've talked about here are kind of exactly 
play into that. It's really about, are there expectations from the organization about what's going to happen here? And are we able to meet it on the cloud side? And that requires a little bit of connectivity and technology and thought and people being on the same page. Yeah, totally. And one of the interesting threads I'm hearing here is understand the reason why we're going to the cloud. What is the ultimate goal that the executives or whoever's pushing down the edict of move to the cloud is looking for and understanding that, you know, I did a lot of pulling around these types of concerns that customers had. And this migration risk one actually came up to be a top four concern for the individuals. So the people that were at these meetings that participated in the polling said, yeah, this is a big concern for me. But at the same time, they said, hey, I don't think it's as big a concern for my company. I don't know that my executive team or my management is really that concerned about it. So Ahmad, I'm kind of curious, what might they be seeing as individuals that maybe they don't think their companies are seeing? So I personally think there's two ways to answer this, right? If some individuals feel like if they move to the cloud, there is a potential of losing their job, right? So it's kind of like resistance to change or cloud adoption, because if they do this, a lot of the things that they do today is no longer needed. So for example, when I was a customer, we we actually had in one of the enterprises I was in, we had a dedicated person who took care of the data center infrastructure. So in that case, that particular individual would be worried because, you know, in the cloud, at this point, there's no need for a rack and stack person on our side. So for them, they would consider, okay, well, is this job replacement for me? So I've seen it from that perspective of, you know, cloud migration is going to bring change and disruption, and it's going to hinder my employment here. So I'm not for it. The other aspect of this is that these individuals are the hands within the organization. And kind of to the point made early on is, okay, what is our initiative here to migrate to the cloud? Is this just kind of one of those things that, hey, everybody's doing it, so I need to be the cool kid and also join in? Or, you know, are we looking to get out of the data center business entirely? Or are we looking for, you know, to close down one of our data centers, do some consolidation, have a new DR site? Depending on your use case, now as a an individual in one of these organizations, I'm starting to think of like, okay, how is this going to impact internal processes today? Are we going to be able to use the same tooling? Are we going to be able to continue day-to-day operations? And how are we going to be able to migrate without impact? Or what is the downtime required? So there's just so much involved when you're looking at this cloud migration that I can see that individuals could have this concern where upper management may say, hey, migrate to the cloud. It's going to save us money. We're going to close down this data center and be out in three to six months. And you have three to six months to do this, you know, large effort. And, you know, they're just looking at it from the sense of, okay, dollars and cents, whereas individuals who are actually the hands-on are looking at it from like, hey, this is a big effort and it may take longer than three to six months. And we want to do this in stages. So again, depending on your the lens that you're using will determine the different outcome or perspective. That's a good point. I think that, uh, you know, the hyperscalers, Microsoft and Amazon and Google and those guys, they feed into this a little bit with the, you know, they sell the management teams really hard on their cloud platform. And 
the clouds have like an API or a feature or what have you that can do almost everything. From a security and compliance perspective, they can honestly say, hey, you can you know, implement governance on our platform and you can implement policies. So what I see a lot of is there's management teams that are, oh, that's just, it's built into the cloud. It's, it'll just be easy, you know, availability built into the cloud, security built into the cloud. And it's the people on the ground that are the hands on keyboards, if you will, that are actually having to implement these things that see kind of the reality of what it takes to get this stuff done. And it's like, we'll hold the phone. I'm not sure we quite have the team or we have the time or if we really thought this through based off of our other requirements. So I think there's a real disconnect often there between what kind of on the surface and on the brochure the clouds say they can do and not whether it can be done, but whether it can actually be implemented in like a reasonable amount of time with the teams that companies have currently. I think the personnel aspect of what Ahmad brought up earlier is definitely a valid concern and something that I've seen in real life customer experience. So one of the, the customers that I worked with was a very old school style organization, been running on premises for a long while, many data centers in North America. And therefore they have a staff that's very siloed. You know, they've got a specific networking team and a specific backup guy. And it was very siloed off, right? And I can remember back in going to their office and meeting with these folks, there were certain individuals, they literally had a counter on their desk that was a countdown to retirement. Work with those people. (laughs) Okay. They were literally counting down the days and hours to retire and collect their pension, right? So look at that from their perspective, right? They've been doing this job for a long while, many, many years, and likely some cases, decades, they've been doing the same thing. And to have some you know, young whippersnapper come through the office and say, hey, you're going to go to the cloud, you know? And I look at it from them, like they've been doing this for a long time, like trying to motivate somebody like that to go and put the extra effort in to learn this new thing. I understand their concern, right? And I understand everything that Ahmad was saying there. So it's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration. And I would say with that specific customer that I worked with, there was like, I would classify it as the Either the 90-10 rule or I would say the 80-20 rule, where you've got like the 10% or 20% of the guys and gals that get it and they adopt it and they go full on getting certifications and getting up to speed and learning on their own and all that type of stuff. And then you've got the vast majority of the organization that sort of trails behind, right? So that's why you might have a few applications that get migrated over rather quickly and adopted quickly, have a good experience, and then the rest of the company is slow to follow along, right? And you've got the long tail on the cloud migration or quote unquote cloud stall, if you will. That's just something that I've seen in real life. That felt like a uh, get off my lawn kind of uh, moment as you were talking. (laughs) I was on mute laughing. (laughs) Uh, But it's, Matt, it's real. Like these, and I, I think it was Brian, you're the one that chimed in and said that you know these types of people. Yeah, I worked in the insurance industry when I was on the customer side of things. And needless to say, that was as an industry moves slowly and it tends to not to deride anybody, but, you know, more cautious people, more, I like what I'm doing. I want to keep doing it for as long as I possibly can. You know, some of them were counting down to retirement when they still had over a decade left. And I can never really fathom that. But as I've gotten older, I can kind of understand that a little bit better. But it's not about the retirement also. Like, so I've worked in enterprises where kind of to Clint's point, we were siloed, right? Everybody kind of had their job. And some of the people I worked with, felt like it was a cushy job. 
and they didn't want any kind of change introduced. And at one point, we actually were looking at migrating to the cloud, and we had to give an analysis as part of that. And for them, as part of their input, they said that we didn't have the skills to migrate to the cloud, which was not true because some of us actually had taken courses and had done, you know, uh, some testing and, and things like that. But for them, they did have that fear of, you know, if I go to this thing, I have to learn something new. And if I don't want to learn something new, then I'm out of a job versus looking at it as a career opportunity. Because to me, when you work in a silo, your head's down in one particular area. You're not looking at other types of skill sets. So this would have been a good opportunity for them to look at it as more of a growth opportunity than a I'm scared of my job opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And some of the best cloud architects and cloud engineers that I've worked with have a little bit more experience, have been around in IT a little bit longer. They know a lot about the data center world and more of the traditional technology stack and kind of went headfirst into the cloud and are just awesome. You know, like so much of that knowledge really transfers and it's so valuable to have a lot of that knowledge of how applications run on kind of different, more traditional stacks in a data center. I find that it's so useful and it is like exactly like you're saying, like I see it so often, there's just a resistance. I mean, maybe it's a personality type, but there's a lot of resistance internally from people that have the ability to be just really top shelf kind of cloud engineers. And it's always kind of surprising to me. I think the resistance sometimes comes, and I don't want to say that all IT folks are like this, but we kind of have our own OCDs and we tend to cling to, hey, this is the way we do things and, you know, how I cable things. And I have, I have control really what it comes down to. And when you have to kind of relinquish some of that control, it's, it's tough for some people that you no longer get to see the physical thing or touch the physical thing. It's now somewhere else and it shouldn't even exist in your mind. So for some people, they kind of have that. I'm going to say maybe it's a coping thing. I don't know, but I've just seen it a lot throughout my time where there's been some resistance and sometimes there has to be choices made. Definitely. And I like the comment on a lot of the old skills can be transferable if you're willing to learn how those skills work in the new environment. And one of those, I think, is a key piece to the migration planning and, and strategy, which is just planning. I mean, any of us that have worked on an IT project know that the best projects are the ones that got planned out the best. Clint, wouldn't you think that this could eliminate this concern? Or do you feel like there's something else going on that people are afraid of this migration beyond just the planning aspect? So I think the planning for a cloud migration, in my opinion, begins even before the word cloud comes into the mix, right? So practices that you're doing on-premises today are they able to be translated into cloud-like ways and methodologies of doing things? For example, let's say we have a large amount of data. You mentioned earlier insurance, that you used to work in the insurance industry, Brian. So let's say we're an insurance company, right? Insurance companies have different types of data of their customers. Some of that is personally identifiable information, driver's license information. It could be addresses, social security numbers. So the first question, if I'm looking to do some sort of a data migration or application migration to the cloud, the first question that I'm asking internally, if I'm listening to this podcast is, do we do any type of classification of data, right? 
Is, is the data get classified, for example, is it, you know, low, meaning it's publicly available information and maybe it's website information, that type of stuff. Is it medium? Is it just strictly internal? Or is it confidential customer information? Is there any sort of metadata that's associated with it? And how are we classifying that, right? Because it's specific to the industry space there, depending, there could be rules and regulations that prevent certain types of data going to the cloud, or even which regions the data can live in, right? So how does that translate to some of the public cloud providers? You know, maybe there's data sovereignty rules that specific classes of data can't go across country boundaries, for example. So you would need to make sure that you have security policies in place to prevent that from happening. I would say that's one angle to take at it. The second one is making sure that you properly set up your landing zone strategy. So again, I have this vast amount of data on-prem that I want to move, you know, what type of bucket policies do I have in place? What if Ahmad decides to go rogue and wants to make a bucket public and has all of my customers' data living inside of it? As much as we would like to think that Ahmad's a great guy and he wouldn't do that on purpose, accidents do happen, right? So do you have checks and balances in place to not only detect that whenever a bucket is made public, do you have remediation in place that's going to go and revoke that bucket becoming public? Or third, on top of that, whenever you go to create it, do you have policies that block, for example, creating public buckets? That's just one angle to take on it, right? And the last piece that I would add on the planning, specifically around large sets of data migration, is around ownership. So who actually owns the data? If we're migrating this insurance information, sticking with that use case there, if we're migrating this data to the cloud, who actually owns it? Is the data lake own the data? Does the consumer of the data actually owning it? Or is it the source came from, right? Those are all different types of challenges. There's technical aspects to that, you know, like data ownership and object ownership inside of a, an object store, for example. But then I would say there's more challenging pieces of that, which are the political aspects as well. Data ownership is something that I've personally lived through in working with specific customers is that, you know, who owns it, who's consuming it, what access do they have, what are they doing with it? Those are all different types of considerations that you should take into account whenever you're planning a migration to the cloud, right? Before you ever back up the snowmobile and plug in the cable to start pumping it to the cloud. That's my perspective on that. You know, it's interesting. A lot of those things are really kind of that you just mentioned are really kind of day two, day three, kind of almost operational issues. And, you know, like I talked about at the top of the podcast, from my perspective, so many of the challenges companies face in cloud, particularly like technical challenges, but in some ways operational is around just that cloud environment getting bigger and not being static. So, you know, it's really easy for organizations to build an infrastructure and like, get an app to work. And okay, and if that were the only thing they were ever to do in the cloud, it'd be actually pretty easy to just maintain that. But that's not typically the case, especially with large customers. And so much of the key elements of planning a cloud migration project or even just planning the overall cloud strategy is nailing down, hey, how are we going to handle the scale as it happens? How are we going to handle these issues around monitoring? How are we going to, you know, policies are great, but what's our feedback loop for implementing new policies based off of activity we're seeing in our environments? Because of course, we're not going to be able to just think of everything that could possibly happen up front. So, so much of it is about that day two, day three, day four, that operational process. And, um, you know, I think that the planning should eliminate that as a concern generally, but that also implies that you need to be kind of doing continuous planning 
So that's kind of my perspective on that. So I agree with what you both said. I think early on, John used the term brochure, and I was thinking of it kind of like, you know, a vacation when you book travel. You know, you want to definitely always read the fine print. And when you look at something like cloud migration, typically there is some amazing tool or some way to get there to the destination. The thing is, you you know, when you start reading the fine print, it's like, well, wait a minute. You mean I have to have, you know, connectivity? But your tool said that it would do that. Oh, no, no, you need to bring connectivity. So it's almost kind of like paying for something additional when you're boarding and you didn't realize that you have to pay for the luggage that you're bringing on the flight or something like that. So connectivity plays a big role and it definitely should be part of your planning. Is this short-term connectivity? Is this long-term in in the sense of hybrid? Are you going to use L2? Should you consider L3? Like all that stuff should be part of it. And reading that fine print, you start to realize that there are so many different aspects of this that yes, planning is going to, I think, help reduce it. But early on to John's point, this is a continuous thing. It's not a, okay, we've planned, now let's do it. It's a continuous, okay, we're planning, we're doing, we're planning, we're doing. And you know, you may run into an issue, so you may have to go back and say, okay, well, this didn't work. We need to go back and replan and redo. And you're doing this in chunks. So you're doing it in stages. So that way, if something does happen, you can recover easily versus now you're having to kind of say, oh, well, we we have an outage or we we have downtime. So again, I think planning accordingly, looking at a holistic level and making sure you also have not only a plan to get to the cloud, but if something happens, what is your recovery plan as well? Yeah, that's great. Uh, The only thing that I'll add on top of what Ahmad just said there at the end, because the first thing that came into my mind whenever you said, like, what's my recovery strategy? That's an entirely different can of worms to unpack there just in of itself in helping a customer determine or understand what should their DR strategy look like or what should their backup strategy look like as they move data to the cloud, because it's not the same as on-prem. No, it's not. And I think one of the points that were made early on here is usually some of this stuff is like, day two, right? Mm -hmm. And I personally think it should be part of the total strategy. Okay, this workload or this data is going to go from source to destination. As it hits the destination, is it going to be backed up on day that it lands? Is there a DR plan for it? What, like all this stuff, are we monitoring? Are we logging? I mean, that should be part of the landing as it hits the destination, should not be part of something that's like, oh, well, we'll get to it in a week because we all know and we've been in IT long enough that, you know, from day to day, you could run into an issue. And if data is corrupt, well, oh, crap, now I got to restore. Or if we're not logging and there's an issue, well, how do I troubleshoot? And I think some people don't consider that, that these things need to be in place day of when data is migrated. Absolutely. And from my opinion there, that goes along with the proper building out of a landing zone, right? So there, if you go down like the checklist of what is required, those items there, you know, would definitely fall into that category as I stand up a new account or a new use case or whatever in inside of my cloud organization, you know, what are the things that are provided by default that everybody gets, right? And there's a cookie cutter stamped out, right? I want a new account. This is what you get. Go. Boom, 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 boom. Right. And making it a very repeatable process. I mean, I think the, the only thing I will would add to this is, I mean, if you look at this, there's a huge opportunity for a lot of folks. Like if you're looking at this, I wouldn't call it a architect role, but 
I mean, it could be depending on your point of view, but cloud migration or mobility architect, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's definitely something that's that's needed for for people who have the the skill sets and the appetite to do this. It, it definitely can be a uh, a good and interesting role. Yeah, you need to have somebody that can have that holistic view and be able to take everything into account. Yeah, and at the end of the day, to be honest, relying on a consultant to come in and do all your planning is, yeah, they can help. But at the end of the day, it's the hands or the customer in the environment that knows their environment. And they should be the ones who are providing input and making sure that that plan is solid. But to just you know rely on a consultant to come in and say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. And then something goes sideways. I, I think there's blame to go all around. So definitely make sure that you have input into your migration strategy and, and you're driving it. Yes, there can be some guidance, but ultimately that's why it's your migration strategy. The clouds themselves were literally constructed to have like the build part of it be as frictionless as possible. So it's very easy to go out there and build stuff, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's a whole different story to kind of run and manage it. And that's kind of where the juice is. And like, you have to have your team really be up to speed with that and, I, I think that a lot of organizations sort of, you know, you spin up a few VMs and like EC2 instances in AWS and you feel like, hey, uh, that was it. And there's so many variables and so many different factors at, at play. I just think that it's misleading and having dedicated, you know, migration. I like that of architect, I think is is actually a really interesting and necessary concept. I keep going back to your whole brochure thing, right? It's like, make sure you read the brochure and, and look at the fine print right before uh, taking this uh, journey? Well, uh, like AWS's whole kind of governance and security stack of services, like they do practically everything. But, you know, if you're a company and you're moving your first workload in the cloud, is there any chance you're going to configure like, you know, guard duty and security hub and config and all of those things to the full extent that the org requires? Like that's, that's a tall order. And at some point, somebody bought in fully to the fact that all that stuff was just going to work. And there's some realities that usually are faced kind of early on in a cloud migration that I think provides some kind of a rocky road, I guess. Yeah, shiny shiny tools are nice, but if you don't know how to use them or if you get too many at once, you have a hard time actually getting them all in place properly. Totally, and that's how uh, you end up in very bad scenarios with your name on the front of a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's ultimately the goal we should all have. So I think that's a great note to end on there. Things that I learned, I think, are worth re-mentioning here. Make sure that your migration is holistic. It's going to be unique to your situation. It's going to be something that's special to your organization. Make sure that all the players are involved there. And if you need to bring outsiders in to help with experience of the migration, do that. But don't completely hand it over to them. You still need to be a part of that process to make sure it goes successfully. And quite frankly, moving to the cloud for most companies will be a large long-term project. But it can be done incrementally to get early wins, to be able to dip your toe in and understand if it's the right place to be and all that. And of course, planning and testing are going to be key to all of that, including contingencies. What happens when something goes wrong? You know, those of us that went through the whole P2V experience earlier this century all kind of hopefully understand that because, you know, those were long-term plans and had a lot of contingencies when P2Vs didn't work out. And in the end, you need to make sure you understand the desired outcome of going to the cloud so that you know you're going to hit that mark properly. As an individual, 
when you're part of this migration process, you will see the day-to-day impacts better than the management ever will. So make sure that they understand those implications of the move to the cloud so that they do properly assess the impact to the organization. Just don't be that person that drags their feet and looks like you're trying to stop the cloud from moving forward. You know, I think we all agree that you should really embrace it. Hype those concerns that you have as a way to improve the migration plan. Hey, I saw that this is going to go this way, but as I've read about this thing, I understand that you know this could really go sideways on us. You know, if we make this public, that data is accessible to anybody. We should probably flip that bucket over to a private bucket. Those kinds of things will one help you grow and two help get you seen as a proponent of the cloud and, and help you be a leader and be prepared for that new environment. And then finally, you know, planning really is more than just the technical steps. Technical steps are key, they're super important, and there's no minimization of those whatsoever. But you know, understanding why the change, what skill sets need to be in place, do you properly understand all the systems that you're going to be migrating, including any shadow IT bits that, that may get broken along the way? Understanding all that and being able to feed that into the initial plan and then making sure you're continuously planning to handle post-migration, that day two, day three experience, because kind of as we started, the journey doesn't end once the data is migrated up. It's an ongoing process, and you're going to want to continue to evolve to better utilize the cloud and, and what you have in there, even if it's just saying, hey, we decided to lift and shift, and now we're going to start refactoring pieces of it. You know, that process really never ends. A lot of good info there, but we need to unfortunately finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you, John, Ahmad, and Clint for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. If you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. One thing I will say is you guys make me very happy because it's such a pleasure to talk with people that don't say the word on-premise. And I will <laughs> every single one of you, including myself, to give my own self-credit, and I'll pat myself on the back, and you should all do the same, is we all sit on-premises every single time like good stewards of the cloud.